have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4. We want to pick up our study in verse 9 and take it to the conclusion. This morning, Paul the Apostle, his final farewell. Paul writes his final chapter to Timothy, a young pastor there in Ephesus. Paul's in Roman prison. We know that he's in house arrest. We know that he's been shackled to a soldier, even though it was house arrest. This is Paul's second imprisonment, and it's also his last days on earth. We know historically that Paul would die at the hands of Nero, the emperor of Rome. He has him beheaded. The early church at this time is under tremendous pressure. There is persecution. And to be a Christian was not profitable. And so Paul is moved by the power of the Holy Spirit as he pins these last three, which we call pastoral epistles. He encourages Timothy. And then he writes to Titus. And then he writes the last letter to Timothy. And so in a sense, there's a skip there. But this is the last letter. It is believed historically that uh, Paul uh, pins this. He never comes out of prison this second time. And so we've seen the theme for the last couple of weeks, this encouragement. The encouragement to continue uh, in the Word of God. The encouragement to continue in sound doctrine, especially because the days were evil. Tremendous pressure, again, by Rome. Stay in that doctrine. And so now, the conclusion. And I was thinking of myself. What would I share if I knew my time was short? What would you share? What legacy would you leave? Your family, your friends, your loved ones. What would you tell your co-workers? And so Paul pins this last portion of the letter. And so let's begin here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse 9 with me. And he says, Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. I like this encouragement here. Timothy, be prompt to come to me speedily. The Holy Spirit has already spoken to Paul as we already share. Paul senses that his time is short. Yet, Timothy never arrives. We have no historical writings that Timothy showed up there in Rome. But we do understand that he stayed in Ephesus. And so here's Paul's heart. He wants to see him. Notice now, he begins in verse 10. And there are some that faltered in the ministry. And he begins here in verse 10. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Underline that. Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. And then he speaks of this other brother. Crescens for Galatia, and then Titus for uh, Dalmatia. Now, it's interesting that Demas, having loved this present world. Last week, we left off in verse 8, a crown of righteousness, if those that love the appearing of Jesus Christ. And so the word love was used because you wanted to see Christ come. You anticipated the coming of the Lord. But now the same word is used. Having loved, agapied this present world. Now, not only was Paul in prison, but there were personal 
people that were in ministry with him, such as Demas here, and they have faltered. Many believe it was just backsliding. Some believe it could have been that they left the faith. Paul the Apostle had ministered with Demas in other passages. If, you take, if you're taking notes in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, and then the book of Philemon in verse 24, Demas was there. He was in ministry. And now he's departed. He's forsaken. This has to hurt Paul. Paul loves the church and he loves the body of Christ. He loves teaching. He's a good shepherd, a good evangelist, a good church planter. It sounds to me that Demas uh, departed. He left Paul because he loved the present world. Could it be that the desires for the world appetites were stronger? There's a term that we hear when somebody backslides, somebody goes back to the world. Demas was the type that goes back to Egypt. Demas is the type that goes back to Babylon. But yet here's another insight. He goes back to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is where his hometown was. Did he give up on ministry completely? Or was he just so burned out with ministry? But it hurt Paul. Was there a conversation between each other? We don't know. But yet there's two other brothers here. Crescens departed to Galatia, and Titus departs to Dalmatia. Did they have ministry problems, or were they being assigned differently? It's believed that they continued uh, to serve the Lord. But I want you to see this, because many believe that during this time in Rome, these are the last days. Nero is the Antichrist. We're beginning the seven years of tribulation. And so was the ministry too hard for Demas that he went back uh, to the world? The, the scripture is, is very hard here. Having loved this present world, he agape, he, he drew into this present world. And it's sad when I've been in the ministry long enough and from time to time, you know, you hear of somebody that was in the church, somebody that was part of the leadership. It could have been an elder, a deacon, or a pastor of the church. Somebody that I personally know. And they, they give up. They relinquish their post, and, and then before you know it, they're back in the world. And it doesn't take long. And the enemy is good at that. And so Demas, I want you to see that. It hurt Paul's heart. Well, what about the Lord? What about the Lord? And then Paul says, but there are others that stayed with me. Look at verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Luke the physician. He was constantly with Paul. But I want you to see this now. Here's Paul's forgiving heart. Get Mark. This is John Mark. And bring him to me. Or bring him with you. For he is useful uh, for me to the ministry. Luke the physician. He remained faithful. But Paul asked that John Mark return because he was useful. The word is, he was profitable. He would be gained for me. I see Paul here experiencing, and I want you to see this, the ministry of forgiveness. You see, when people hurt you, and they will, and they do, and I've been in ministry long enough, I've been hurt. And so the place comes when you gather back. The place comes when they come to you and they say, Pastor, 
forgive me. And now the ball's in your court. What are you going to do? Somebody comes to you, and they wronged you, and now they come, and they ask for forgiveness. You see, our, our nature is to hold a grudge. Our nature is, I'll get, I'll get you back, you'll see. And then especially if you grew up in the world, your mind, you know, turns. I see them at Walmart, and you give them the Christian smile. But in the back, you know, you got a hammer in the back hand. And so you have to be careful. Now, let me set this up for you. Turn with me to Acts chapter 15. You see, John Mark was probably a young teen. And he ministered with Paul and Barnabas. John Mark is Barnabas' nephew. And so the time comes that John Mark is too young. And he doesn't... He doesn't have the zeal that Paul and Barnabas, he wants to go back home. And Paul gets angry. And he says, let him go home. But now about 16 or 20 years later, Paul has a forgiving heart. Obviously, John Mark is mature now. He's up in age. He asks him to come back. Historically, it's believed that uh, John Mark goes to Egypt. And he eventually starts churches up there. But we know for a fact that John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. And so, again, think about forgiveness that God wants to use. But let's go to see uh, in the first missionary journey. There were four missionary journeys. And in the first one, John Mark was with him. He begins here in Acts 15. Look at verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brothers in every city which we have preached the word of the Lord, and see how they are doing. This was natural for, for Paul. Now Barnabas was determined uh, to take with him a John Mark or John called Mark. But Paul insisted, look at verse 38, that they should not take with them uh, the one who had uh, departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them uh, to the continued work. But I want you to see verse 39. This is about 16 plus years earlier. Then the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. And so Barnabas took John Mark and he sailed to Cyprus. But Paul, he chose Silas and he departed, being commanded by the brethren, uh, to, by the grace of God. And he went through uh, Syria and Cilicia and he strengthening the churches. But verse 39 says there was a contention. And yet they're both brothers in Christ. Paul and Barnabas were, were good friends besides co-laborers in Christ. But this youngster comes in, a young teen, probably 16, 17, 18 years old. He couldn't handle the ministry. And so he starts complaining. And then Paul says, send him, let him go. Well, the time comes and Barnabas wants to recuperate. Let's, let's take my nephew again. No, I don't want him. You see, God allows these things. God's sovereignty. And some people look at this, well, he caused a division. But then others see a great work. You see, John Mark and his uncle Barnabas, they continued ministry somewhere else. And then Paul took Silas and he went another way. And so in a sense, you can see the message going. And that's good. Especially now that we know John Mark did come back. He was just too young at this particular point. 
The word contention here, it says that they disputed sharply in anger. That's what the Greek is telling us. And so Paul didn't put up with it. But I like this here. He says, Luke is with me in verse 11, and get John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. That's a forgiving heart, church. That's a forgiving heart. And we've had people in time past that have left the church in anger, in frustration, and then they'll come back. And it's hard. Because are they going to do it again? Do you trust them? Do you give them a place to do something in the church? And then God has to work on your heart. And so I see Paul here. It is so beautiful. Not only uh, does he speak about Luke and then John Mark. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 12. And Tychicus, I have sent to Ephesus. Now, Tychicus, according to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, Tychicus was a beloved brother and a faithful minister, a faithful servant in the Lord. Paul was sending him to Ephesus. So Timothy would join Paul in Rome. But we don't have any record that Timothy ever, ever went to Rome. Now, Unger's Bible Dictionary tells us tradition that Timothy continues there in Ephesus. Not only as a pastor, but eventually he becomes the bishop of Ephesus. And we know historically that he suffered martyrdom under Domitian, uh, a Roman, the Roman emperor at the time. And so it's good because Paul's encouraging Timothy. And we know now, as the ministry continues, Paul dies, goes home, bees with the Lord. Obviously, Timothy continues. Not only does he stay in Ephesus, but he also now, not just the, the pastor, but he becomes the bishop. And so God used this young man. And yet Paul had to encourage him. And so sometimes we have to be encouraged. And I need to share this. Don't give up on somebody when they've wronged you. Because we've wronged people from time to time. We've offended people from time to time. You know, when Jesus is on the cross, and he's getting ready to give up the ghost, he says those words that always catch me. He looks up into the heavens, his arms are stretched, he knows he's going to die, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, that's not my nature. Father, get them. It's not your nature either. You see, because we live with still the world appetites, even though we're Christian. And it takes maturity. It takes time. It takes prayer. Father, forgive them. And I've had people that have come up and cried with me and said, Pastor Bob, I'm sorry. And I says, I forgive you because God forgives you. Take me back. Praise the Lord. And you know what? In most cases, they become stronger and better Christians. And so, can you imagine Paul's heart now? Let's go into verse 13 now. And he says, bring the cloak, he says, that I left with Carpus at Troas. When you come, and the books, and especially the parchments. Now, we don't know much about this young man, Carpus, but evidently uh, he was a Christian there at Troas, and he had Paul's winter coat, coat, that is. 
And so, Timothy, if you're going to come, bring my winter coat. Paul was in house arrest. He's there in Rome. It could get very cold there. Now, the Roman government wouldn't take care of you. Now, if you had uh, the ability to have house arrest, you were still in house arrest. He would have been shackled uh, to a soldier. But your food, your provisions, everything would have to be provided by family, friends, and, and loved ones. And so if the winter's coming, bring my cloak with you. Now, this cloak... Uh, in, in the Greek, it's the mantle, or also it's the surtot. Now, the surtot was a elongated coat that the men would use. And so it could have been what we understand, the overcoat. And it would keep him warm. But besides the coat, listen. Bring the books. The word is biblia. Bring the scrolls. Don't, I don't want you to think of, you know, the Bible as we have it intact. But they would bring the scrolls, and it wouldn't have been New Testament complete. But bring the scrolls of the Old Testament. And so they would bring the scrolls to him uh, of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so on down. And maybe these were some of the scrolls that he was missing or some of the scrolls that he sent on. And then they were being sent back. We can only, you know, guess. But I like what it says here. He says, bring the books, uh, bring the parchments, which were the writings on sheepskins. Did they ever get to Paul? I'm sure that he had some of the parchments and some of the writings. Uh, We don't know if this uh, question here that he's asking for, it was ever fulfilled. But yet Paul wanted these scrolls, these papyrus scrolls. The parchments were the membra, or where we get the word membrane. And again, it would have been written on animal skins, the Old Testament books. And so Paul looked forward to this. You've been a Christian long enough. I'm obviously in the ministry, and I love to have a Bible with me at all times. Now, I have them in my home, I have them in my vehicle, I have them at at my office. I should never be without a scripture, because if somebody asks me of the hope that's within me, I'm able to share with them. I mean, even the little Gideon Bible, come on, put it in your back pocket. Always be ready. And so we have such access today. And so here's Paul, you know, bring my coat. It's getting a little chilly here, but don't forget the books. And don't forget the parchments. Paul looked forward to that. Now in verse 14, Demas has already caused uh, Paul hardship and heart pain. But now he speaks of Alexander, uh, the coppersmith. Now this is the second time in 1 Timothy, Paul warned him about uh, Alexander. And now here at the conclusion He warns him about Alexander the coppersmith. Notice that it says that he did me much harm, much evil. May the Lord, and I like Paul's heart here, may the Lord repay him according to his works. Now, it's obvious to me that Alexander the coppersmith didn't come uh, to the place of forgiveness. Didn't come to the place where uh, Paul and him sat down and, and let's agree then. But this man just kept you know, undermining the ministry of Paul. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Now, he was a silversmith from most likely in Ephesus. And he would have been one of those that 
you know, uh, made the figurines of the goddess Diana. Now, you have to understand what's going on. Uh, could it be that Alexander the coppersmith was so angry because now his livelihood is gone? We know that Ephesus was a big city. Even then, the population was anywhere between 400 to 500,000. There was this beautiful amphitheater that was there that easily held 25,000. And so it was a city of commerce. Many would travel, sell their goods, buy, sell, and trade. Now, Paul brings the gospel to Ephesus. Change hearts take place. And people stopped buying the ambulance and the shrines of Diana. There was a beautiful temple there to Diana. And so the livelihood of these silversmiths was being attacked. And could it be that Alexander the coppersmith was the ringleader? Because according to uh, Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41, I'll give you that as some homework. Literally, a riot breaks out there in Ephesus. And there is a gentleman by the name of Alexander that tries to go and speak with them at that amphitheater. But they wouldn't allow him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 19 that these 25,000 people, for two hours solid, they chanted, Diana, Diana, the goddess. And so great goddess Diana, over and over and over again. Imagine their livelihood. It diminished now. Nobody's buying the ambulance. Nobody is buying the little shrines made out of silver. And so Alexander the coppersmith could have been easily so angered now. Now, like I said, Paul warned him, uh, Timothy, twice about this man. I want you to turn back. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at verse 18 through 20. So this was the first warning. And it's interesting to me that when you warn somebody of something and then you warn them again, you're trying to mean business with this man about this situation. So Timothy, take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. First Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 18. This charge I commit to you, my son Timothy. Remember there was love and a compassion between these two. According to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith have suffered shipwreck. Paul had previously warned Timothy. There would be those that would leave the faith. The Greek for the word sheep, shipwreck here, excuse me, it says they caused the shipwreck of faith in many. And so Paul's heart, Man, watch out for Alexander the coppersmith. And then he names them. Look at verse 20. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. The Greek says, I gave them over to Satan because they were blasphemers. They defamed God. They defamed Paul. They defamed the word of God. Now, I can honestly tell you, as I shared with you earlier, I've had problems in the ministry. Most pastors will go through their problems in ministry. There are going to be always those that will try to undermine. There will always be those that try to come against you. But I can honestly tell you, church, I have never handed anybody over to Satan. 
So this man had to have been vicious. And Paul was up to here with it. Hand him over to the enemy. Let the enemy have him. And let God repay him accordingly. And so Paul was very adamant here. Now I want you to listen to this psalm. Psalm 62, verse 12. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. Your unfailing love, O Lord, is yours. Surely you judge all people according to what they have done. Alexander and Hymenius, their judgment would come. Demas, his judgment would come. Now, obviously, the door is wide open for confession of sin. And then the door is wide open for restoration. I mean, God is the God of second and third chances. How many chances have we had? God is the God of grace. But I believe that Alexander the coppersmith, and I believe that Hymenius had crossed the line. Did they ever repent? There's no indication. And so Paul is warning, and he's warning hard. And so again, the psalmist says, Your unfailing love, O Lord, it's yours. Surely you judge all people according to what they have done. Now let's go back to our text. And then verse 15, Paul picks it up. You also must be aware of him. So he's warning Timothy. Be aware of Alexander the coppersmith. For he has greatly resisted our words. In other words, the work of the ministry. This Alexander, the coppersmith, was so evil. He was obviously an evil man. And Paul warns Timothy. He warns him in the first letter, and then he warns him in the second letter. This Alexander, the coppersmith, greatly opposed our words. Paul's words were God's words and the word of God. Twice did he mention him. Now, there are those in the church that say you shouldn't mention names. And you've been here in time past. And if we hear of a heresy, if we hear of a doctrine that's wrong, you need to be made aware of it. This person is teaching such and such, especially if they're on the radio, especially if they're on television, because the sheep are going to listen. Paul had not a problem in calling out names. I want you to say two verses with me. First of all, turn to Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. So when a charlatan comes on and you hear the air, the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. It's unscriptural. Then we need to point them out. We need to label them. Paul did. Here in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, listen to the words, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have heard or learned, and avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. Avoid them. Stern warning. Mark them. Put a check mark. The word that he uses to mark them is the Greek word skopos, and this is what it means. Keep an eye on them. Put a red mark on them. Because again, everybody has room for repentance. Everybody has room for confession of their sin. But Paul says, mark them. 
Hymenius, Alexander the coppersmith, Demas, mark them. Now, if they repent, praise God. Now, let's go to another verse. Go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. He uses the same word, scopos, but he's talking about mark those that are serving the Lord. Keep an eye on the bad guys. Keep an eye on the good guys. I like that. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Mark the good guys. Mark the good guys and tell others, hey, listen, listen to this guy. Listen to this teacher. Listen to this pastor. But if something is wrong, mark them. Watch their doctrine. Scrutinize their doctrine. The other morning, about four in the morning, I was watching uh, some of the telecasts. I like to see the religious uh, series that come on. And there's this whole section in direct TV that we have. And I'll tell you what, I went through five teachings, five ministries, and each one was the same. It's all about faith and prosperity, and they, they all do the same thing. Send me your money, and God's going to bless you. Oh, I get so frustrated. I'm glad Mary leaves the bricks outside. <laughs> we wouldn't have a television. But mark them. Keep your eye on those that cause the offenses. Also, keep your eye on those that are doing the work of the ministry. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 16. And then Paul says, nobody visited me while I'm here in house arrest in Rome. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. So Paul's a little hurt. He's blowing off a little steam, if you may. Demas, I, I, I did everything for that young man, and he left me. And Paul's so quick, and we take it personal. It's not you that they leave. It's not you that they hurt, but it's the Lord. It's the Lord that they abandon, and it's not you that they abandon, but they're abandoning the Word of God. They're abandoning church. Oh, church, this happens so much. And so here, Paul had, we know, two appearances in Roman court with Nero. The second time, he never comes out. Uh, he actually goes home to be with the Lord. But during this time, it was very dangerous to be a Christian. It was not easy to be a Christian. To call yourself a Christian could mean your life. And it was not easy. Listen, to be associated with Paul the Apostle, maybe your life would even be shorter. And so there were those that were fearful. Now, I want you to think about it in our society today. If you're a Muslim... And you live in a you know, Muslim country. And you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You know what your life expectancy is? Not very long. If you're living in India. And you're basically a Hindu. And you're born and raised there. And then you come to saving grace. Your life expectancy is not very long. And so generally they try to get out of the population. And they try to come to the United States of America. Back in the mid-1970s, when we got involved with Calvary Chapel, the Jesus movement was taking off. I mean, people were coming to Saving Grace from Southern California all the way to Northern California. The Holy Spirit was being poured out. And our church was, you know, uh, we had about 600 strong. 
And we were meeting in a supermarket. And, I mean, we had, on Sunday nights, we would have worship and praise. And uh, we had musicians that would come in. And they would share. And then testimonies. and It was beautiful. And there was always altar calls and such. There was a couple by the name of Ernie and Debbie Rotino. They were a music team, husband and wife. They were very good. And so they frequented, and they would come to Calvary Chapel there in West Covina. And uh, one day, she was sharing her testimony. We didn't know she was a, you know, a born-again Jew. And so she leaves Judaism. Her family was very strict. And to leave Judaism under the strictness of the law was an abomination. They're still waiting for Messiah. And I never forget the testimony Debbie Rotino shared that uh, her mom and dad, they had a mock funeral for her. They disowned her. Now, Mary and I, we have four girls. I, I can't imagine disowning one. Now, even if they do wrong, they're still your child. You still should love them. But imagine a mock funeral. She knew it. Now, this is, you know, 30 years later. I know they're still in ministry, but I don't know if she ever, you know, her parents and them ever reconciled. I don't know. But this is a situation here that Paul is speaking about. Nobody stood up with me, but all forsake me. You know, that place of, of feeling abandoned and, and feeling left alone. And yet, was Paul alone? You see, we're so offended because somebody neglects us or rejects us. But what about God? What about the Lord? Let's go to our text now. Look at verse 17. But the Lord, and I like that. Paul came to his senses. But the Lord stood with me, and he strengthened me. So that the messages might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lions. Now, Nero eventually has him beheaded. But Paul saw it as a blessing. He never went to the arenas. God stood before me. And church, maybe we're not in Paul's situation. House arrest. Maybe nobody's ever going to behead us. We're going to live our Christian life, but we're going to go through our trials. You're going to go through physical trials. You're going to go through emotional trials. You're going to go through financial trials. Trials are there. Being in ministry, we're going to go through ministerial trials. But God will never abandon you. Again, Demas abandoned Paul. And so uh, Alexander the coppersmith and Hymenius, not only did they abandon, but man, they made Paul a lot of problems. But God will never forsake us. Notice that it says, but the Lord, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Church, underline that. Because we'll come to that situation. We'll come to that place. And I've been there. Lord, where are you? You're convinced. You convince yourself. He's abandoned me. He's left me. And yet we don't walk. Listen, we don't walk by feelings. We walk by faith. Lord, I know you're there. Lord, I'm going through this pain, this hardship, this sickness, this disease. I am going through this spiritual warfare. But Lord, your promises are there. God stood with me and he strengthened me. The message got out. 
to the Gentiles. And God miraculously delivered Paul from the lion's den. Now, during this time in Rome, the Colosseum wasn't built yet, but there was an edifice called Circus Maximus. I was blown away. Circus Maximus holds about 17,000 people. This is where they would have the chariot races. This is where they would have the lions and tearing apart Christians. They would take children and put them into animal skins and sew them up. And then the kids were thinking that they were playing, well, I'm a sheep today, I'm a lamb today. And they would go out there and then release the beast. And the beast would come into the arenas and then rip these kids apart. And so many were dying. So Paul says, God delivered me. He rescued me, basically, from the mouth of the lion. Now, I want you to write down these verses. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 6 through 8. In Joshua, chapter come forward if you'd like to give. Uh, Ray and the team is going to end uh, in a song. Tonight, we're going to show a movie. Join us. And we're...